Well, Merry Christmas, everyone. It is uh, Christmas Eve for us, Christmas for you or later when you're listening to this. This is Chatterbox Video Game Radio. My name's Alon. And I'm Aura. So we uh, we don't have much family life, so we can record the show whenever we want. And whenever. it's not even Christmas Eve for me because I'm Armenian, so there. Does Christmas happen for a different time or at a different time for yeah, Armenians? Yeah, the real Christmas. What, Cause, August? Cause July? We... <laughs> June? <laughs> no, Isn't his birthday in January, June? January 6th. Just in case you were wondering. Really? Yeah. That's weird, because he was born in June or something. No, January 6th. No, nope, definitely not. <laughs> Why do they do that? Um, I don't know. All I know is that uh, we Armenians, we know the truth, and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> All right. Well, you have some time then, I guess. Uh, do, do you do anything to celebrate with your family normally? We we have, like, um, really on appetizing like traditional like fish dishes and stuff that we have to eat on the uh, unappetizing like on the order of matzos for uh, the jews i've never even had like any of your stuff actually but it's like white fish it's all unappetizing let me tell you we we eat like white fish that sounds good it's it's a little salty okay you know and i can um, show you how to make tilapia that doesn't taste like crap yeah no but it's like a special white fish that's it's not just white color like a filter fish no it's called white fish Oh, <laughs> okay. It's really salty. <laughs> that that sounds gross. Um, and then there's like this weird other thing that we make that I can't even deign to explain right but now. But like, do you plan on traveling or having them travel to you? No, you it's kind of... near your parents. Well, you know, I mean, I go go down to them regularly, but this, this year it was not to be. Do you have any siblings? Yeah, I have a sibling. Okay, I probably did ask ask what you is, that before, but I don't interview know. Interview Ara on Christmas. I just it's Eve family now. time, and you're you're in your house without family. Yeah, like my in laws are visiting me right now, wondering why I've been gone for three hours to do an hour long radio show. Well, it's curious. Yeah, quality takes time. Yeah, it's true. Um, okay, so I'm actually kind of excited about the show today. We, it seems like we have a lot of stuff to talk about. Yeah, well, we actually played uh, a bunch of um, games, sort of, um, so we can actually talk about them. I need to tell you about a phone call I got this morning. Okay. Was it from um, an authoritative source? It was from an authority figure in my life. Yeah, that's what I mean. Well, not anymore. <laughs> but <laughs> So my dad, who remarkably is still alive at the age of, I don't know, 77, I think. That's impressive. I yeah. didn't think he was that old. He is. I remember he's, because... He's older than my dad. I'm 33. And so like when I was 11, my mom was 33 and my dad was 44, which means when I'm 33... No, he must have been 55 and she was 44. Yeah, that's how it works. Anyway, so when I'm 33, he's got to be 77. That's... Anyway. Wait, you're saying you're not even 33 yet? I am 33. Thank God. Which makes him 77. Okay. Which makes him flipping old. Really yeah, old. that's like... um. He was like, what, 44 uh, when he had you? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Who cares? Back back then, women take care of the kids. <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> that's, anyway. No, that's okay. That's a good age to have kids. Yeah, he started making babies when he was like 20, which is why my sister is more like an aunt. Anyway. Uh, so, he's alive, like I said, remarkably, but old. And so he calls me this morning, uh, 10, 10.30, not, not too early in the morning, but I'm still in bed because it's a day off. And, uh, and he says, hey, I've got a idea for a new website for you now just to give you some perspective here my dad is not one of those people who never touches a computer and doesn't know how to use like a light switch or anything and yeah, but comes I, up with this idea i still can't wait to hear what this is yeah now my my in-laws by the way are what i just described people who are completely afraid of technology um and don't know anything about it and we were like if they said i have an idea for a website for you i'd be like all right slow your roll what's going on in your head right now so your dad is technologically savvy but, is what you're saying well he was, let's say, in the 70s, but now he's aged a bit. So okay, It's a pretty big jump from the 70s to today. But point is, he understands what a computer is. He understands what the web is. He has some patents involving like databases and stuff. So he's not totally crazy. Um, but he calls, says, I have an idea for a website for you. And I'm wondering, I don't even know what you're referring to, like a business maybe or something. And he says, so all these people are talking about... And you know about all the, the talk from the NRA last week about um, guards in schools and all that? 
Um, sort of. Are you following this? I'm trying not to, actually. So we know about all the kids that got killed, and then the follow-up to that is everybody's freaking out about talking about gun control and stuff and um, other things. And and we talked about the inevitable blame on video games. So one thing that the NRA guy mentioned who wants guards in schools is that uh, violent video games like Splatterhouse and whatever, I think... We got a, a letter that oh, talked about this. Yeah, we did. So, Which about, I'm, I'm not sure why the guy singled out Splatterhouses. Well, he mentioned a few games, Mortal Kombat and the sort. You know, games that are 20 years old. No, I mean, like, are they actually, I don't did that remake come out? They it, made a remake to The remake did come out, but yeah. nobody played it. People only played can, it when it was on the Genesis. How can you resist <laughs> to make a reference of a title called Splatterhouse? Yeah. They're not spilling paint in this house, my friend. Okay, so... So the NRA thing happens. There's inevitable talk about video games causing all this violence. And my dad says, all these people are talking about violence in video games. You should make a website that shows uh, ratings for the violence of games for parents so that they would know when they buy these games. Oh, what, that's what such a good idea. Into, right? You should tell the ESRB about yeah, that. Yeah. I was like, Dad, that's – yeah, that's been happening since you were a parent and I was buying <laughs> video games. Uh, if I recall, Mortal Kombat 2 was on the Super Nintendo and the first rated M game. Well, they've been around for a while. Yeah. But it, it's, it's it's still funny to see how um, – I mean this is an example right 18 now. 18 years later, my yeah, dad thinks that would be a good idea. People, people don't know that they exist. And even – you know, I mean a lot of the bullshit that's been going back and forth in the media about these events, um, I mean a lot of people – yeah, they're like they're they're acting as if something like the ESRB doesn't even exist. Yeah, I just I think it's funny that since the time the ESRB had existed, come up with a plan, implemented a plan, someone could have had a child, that child could have grown to adulthood, and now my dad figures out maybe there should be a website <laughs> for this. So that person well, who grew up now doesn't even need them anymore. Timing is everything, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he said, oh, okay, well, that, that may, and there's a website for that? I'm like, well, listen, I'm sure there's a website. There, listen, I said, every video game has these. So I can't tell if that's more interesting or less interesting than um, my dad calling me up and asking me about the uh, pros and cons of opening a hookah shop next to his uh, frozen yogurt, his yogurt shop. shop. Yeah. Um, and, and I cautioned him that it would likely cannibalize um, – sales to um kids and and women and children and everybody under oh because they would want to stay away well yeah oh i don't know hookah hookah shop isn't uh exactly family friendly here. once once pot becomes legal in whatever state he lives in i would definitely want a snack shop next to uh a pot shop well you would but that would definitely work okay well let's let's yeah. move on because i feel like we're going to go down a, a road that we'll never we'll dig a hole we're never talking get about current of. politics too much yeah all right. Um, so that happened. That was fun. That phone call this morning. Uh, where Where do you want to go next? Let's um. Well, let's just start talking about some of these games we've been playing. Okay. So okay. So first of all, the funny thing, right? So um, there's this Metal Gear Solid like Revengeance. There's some other word with an R in it because I think it's a Revengeance. No, no. There's another R Revengeance word. Reloaded or something. Something like that, you know. And I was so disappointed that they didn't go for three R words because if you go to two, you might as well just get the third one and be done with it. But anyway, Metal Gear Rising Revengeance. Rising, yeah, Revengeance? something like that. Okay. Anyway, so I was so excited to play this demo, and I spent. You know, it's not at all like old Metal Gears, right? Days and I, I have no expectations. It's like Devil May Cry, man. It's like an action game. <sighs> well, like I said, no expectations. Okay. I just take things as they come. Um, and so, right, I spend like hours and hours and hours and days actually downloading this three and a half gig thing, right? Well, let me ask you, why would it take days to download three and a half gigs? Well, I didn't pay attention, but it was because I was downloading it, I think, from the Japanese server. <laughs> okay. So that plus Christmas plus wireless connection equals really, really slow downloading. Anyway, so I'm so excited because while I've left my console on overnight repeatedly it finally finishes downloading today and you were here when i go to play it right and then i go to play the demo and it's like do you know what surprised me the most about that what's that you were able to read the sentence that flashed on the screen yeah like as fast as i realized there was a sentence that flashed on the screen oh i just knew automatically what it was going to be oh really yeah i mean you've seen it before no i haven't seen it before 
you just knew it was basically saying, no, you can't play. My brain just decided that it, it just it made an assumption that was correct. I have no other explanation. <laughs> okay. Um, but um, I'm somehow... So I'm, you must have known that you downloaded it. I'm a little bit before. pleased that this impresses you somehow, but anyway. <laughs> so um, what message actually came up on the screen? It was something about like this console, this this game cannot be used with your region of console or something like that, right? Yeah. And I was like, holy shit, how does this happen, right? So first of all, what happened was I had downloaded it from the PS from the Japanese PSN store, which you know, as I've talked about in the past, like you can you can hack an account. It's not even really like that kind of like you don't have to do anything serious, but there's this procedure that you have to follow, and you can actually get an account to access the Japanese PSN store, which has different content than the. What's US funny is there was no Japanese characters. There were no Japanese characters on the you know the graphic saying this is Metal Gear. Revengeance. Oh right, it was right, totally American. And it had been so long since I had started downloading it that I forgot that I actually downloaded it from the Japanese side. Is it all coming back to you now? Well, I mean, that much came back to me anyway. Okay, but. The thing is, I had never had a problem with this before because you could just download a demo that wasn't available on the U.S. side. It's only on the Japanese side, and you still play it on my U.S. console, no problem. But apparently, like, somehow they have a switch that they can throw, and they decided that Metal Gear is just – that it needs to be region protected for all of those nasty hackers who uh, are able in the United States to download the demo. So anyway, we can't even play it. Because it's not going to play on my console, but it did. It didn't bother to tell me this when I started. Which what I'm curious about is why are you getting this demo now? It hasn't this game been out for months and months no, and months? No, it may have been, but the demo just came out on the Japanese side. Okay, they see sometimes they release demos after the fact. All right, it maybe happens. this is like a newer, upgraded release version of the game. No, Metal no, Gear does that? No, see the thing like you're you're too much like I think you're like too accustomed to like the luxury of Xbox Land when every time a game comes out, the demo always comes out when the game comes out, and so on. Yeah, it doesn't always work that way in PlayStation. Mode. All right, we'll be right back. Chatterboxers, how much do you love Amazon.com? Since you're like me, the answer is a lot. And since you love Chatterbox almost as much, here's what I want you to do. Next time you get a new game, a pair of socks, downloadable MP3, anything really, go to helpchatterbox.com. It takes you to Amazon, but when you buy something, we get a piece of the action. That's good for us, and Amazon feels good because you didn't buy it from GameStop. Helpchatterbox.com. Remember it. Bookmark it. Tattoo it backwards on your forehead. And yes, all I'm asking you to do is buy stuff you are already going to buy. Just do it at helpchatterbox.com. And we're back. You are still listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Thanks to University of Advancing Technology and their website, which is uat.edu. By the way, while we're in commercial section here, I want to tell everyone I really appreciate them using helpchatterbox.com. I don't even remember where we put the commercial in the show. I think it, I think it just played. Uh, it's awesome that people are using that and buying totally weird stuff and some video game-related stuff. It doesn't have to be video game-related. If you're just going to buy from Amazon, you go through helpchatterbox.com, and it's, it's, it's working. We're actually getting a little bit of money. So thanks, guys. And by we, we mean you. Well, yes. Yes, we do. But Not that you don't deserve it. You certainly do. Uh, I have to spend a little money to make the show happen. So <laughs> over the course of the years, probably more than a lot of our listeners have made in their lifetime, to be honest. But anyway, uh, it's good that, that people are doing that. So I just wanted to say thank you to whoever does that. And uh, I appreciate it. All right. So back to games. So um, one game that we were able to play, um, as you know, I've been kind of enamored of this uh, this studio, Digital. I don't know their name, but it's the reality. Romanian people or Hungarian. They're people. Hungarian, yeah. Okay. And um, so they they put out a new game just now, right? Because they made Cinemora earlier this year, and that was like um, so the shooter. Yeah. So I was like really impressed with that. So I'm like, oh, these guys, these guys know, these guys know what they're doing here. 
Um, so now they bring out this other game called Black Knight Sword. And yeah, it was kind of hard to tell what the title was at first. Was it? Yeah. Well, it wasn't in Hungarian, but all the graphics apparently are in Hungarian. Really? Well. Oh. You know what I mean. They just certainly look like it. So, so we haven't decided because I'm not an expert in Hungarian culture and neither is Alon. But I, actually, <laughs> I'm Hungarian. Uh yeah, but you didn't. You didn't. We didn't know if all those things were actually like cultural. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I don't. I don't understand some of the references, but it definitely think like. Did it feel Hungarian to you? This game? Oh yeah. Yeah. Think doilies and like old Russian stuff. Like that's the sort of stuff that comes to my head when I think. Yeah. Hungary. So I was in Hungary last summer, by the way. I believe you. It's uh, beautiful but angry-looking women, and. Okay. Um, a really, really strange language that makes everyone sound upset. Yeah, I do like the way the language sounds. But oh, and a lot of paprika. Sure, why yeah. not? Anyway, um, so this game was really fascinating because not because of the gameplay, right? I mean, the gameplay actually seemed kind of insipid. It was. Um, do Do you mean bad? Pretty much like a straightforward platformer with not a lot of like uniquely interesting things going on mechanically. And and of course I was really upset at the fact that it took uh, it took me a long time to realize that uh, when a platform is made out of cat's limbs, um, that means that you can uh, jump onto that platform from below without hitting your head on it. Just to clarify, he said if the platform is made from cat's limbs, like kitty cats, yeah, uh, then yeah, then I, is there a term for that in in video game designer world, what? like? A platform that allows yeah, drop to through. jump through drop through platform, but not a drop top because you only you can only go up from beneath. You can't go down. Well, I don't think we have that precise language. I think the closest that we have that I've used with other designers is the term drop through, which just means you can yeah. So I would drop call this through a, it, but in this case you couldn't actually. Now yeah, that we're I'd call it a jump picks. through, a jump through. Yeah, yeah it's that's fine. You, we know what you mean. Gotcha. Right, because you actually couldn't drop through it from above, but you could jump onto it from below. Yeah. Right. So, like, this is a game where let, let me see if I can paint a picture that makes any sense at all. This is a game where it's basically like a side-scrolling platformer, but the um, the artistic setting is really, really interesting because, first of all, there there appears to be what's ostensibly a lot of culturally Hungarian stuff in it just in its like sensibility and there's just a lot of weird symbology that like I said I'm assuming that it's culturally Hungarian but we don't know for sure yeah the the art is it's beautiful in its implementation right? yeah but it's not really aesthetic yeah right? it's weird like if you took a screenshot and showed someone just a still you'd be like eh like no big deal in fact I'd probably be like more than eh just lame but the yeah, way it, it's presented in like the storybook style, it's like you're in a, th- it's like you're watching a, a two D puppet show, which has been done before, by the way, but not this well. I yeah, think. but this is done really, really well, yeah. and so it's interesting to me for that reason, and I kind of want to like show it to my mom and see which because she's the Hungarian one. Yeah, because I want to ask your mother like where like what do these um, cat heads in plant pots mean, um, and the the fifteen other uh, insane crack. Inspired yeah. symbology that. Did you ever see that those. Tim Schafer game? Or just double fine game with the, the I forget what it's called. The stackable or the the puppet, yeah, the stacking, wooden dolls. Stacking is it called stacking? Yeah, didn't play yeah. it. it. That game's sort of presented in a theater like way. I think. Yeah, that's funny it, too it because that also similar. had like a very like distinctly like Eastern European slash Russian sensibility to it yeah so anyway right like one of the coolest things about this is you know you're you're basically doing regular 2d platforming and the background will change as you're playing like you'll like move from like left to right right and you'll like watch like the backdrop um basically like become like dynamically like assembled and disassembled as if there was like you know a furious state like 20 hands behind the stage, like, quickly, like, you know, move, like, moving all the ropes and stuff and, like, moving things out of the way, moving things in the way. And there's little, like, cats on sticks being puppeted in the background, like, their cats running around. And it's all very, like, quaint and very interesting and very, very, like I said, like, it has a very strong aesthetic, which is really nice, but it's not, 
aesthetically pleasing. It actually doesn't even make really for very good gameplay because their palette, their color palette is like so dim that a lot of times it's hard to see like where you are exactly or what is happening in certain times. Yeah, I'd, I would like to know what was happening in their heads, right? Because the game... Well, that's what we all want to know because none yeah. of that shit makes any sense. So Cinemora is really visually appealing, but you are sort of like a shooter expert. And by the way, I should clarify for those who don't understand the difference. We're not talking about first-person shooter. We're talking about like spaceship-style shooter. Yeah, like 2D shooter. Um, Old school. It's, uh, it was really good, right? I mean, you thought it was one of the top quality. It was definitely one of the better games that came out this year. I mean, you know I have like uh, unreasonably high standards for things. So, you know, it's not perfect. I was able to enjoy its flaws, but at the same time, um, like like one of, one of the places where, you know, this is a really common thing, right? So it's not like um, it came out of nowhere. But they have in this game, in, in both of these games, but especially Cinemora 2, right? There's sometimes a little bit more visual priority over mechanical priority. And so sometimes, like, you, it's obvious that, like, things were done to make look good, even though um, because of that because they took links to make it look good and not necessarily read well, right? That, um, you know, sometimes, for example, like a ship will blend into the background, like an enemy ship, and it's sometimes harder to see than it should be. Yeah. But overall, like, really, like, they did a top-notch job. Like, I have to say that those are, like, really just niggling complaints. Yeah, and so this game suffers more in the gameplay area. Like, it's presented really well, but but the gameplay, at least from the demo, is super lacking. Like, it was just not interesting at all. So. Yeah, I've actually, like, it's it's very rare for me to um, appreciate a game artistically, but have it be, like, completely, um, like I said, insipid mechanically. That seems like the perfect segue to talk about The Unfinished Swan. Yes, because I was just thinking at the same time that The Unfinished Swan is kind of like that, isn't it? Yes, but I also think Unfinished Swan is... is specifically going for an appreciation of the art. They're not even pretending it's a very gameplay motivated. So so this is really interesting, this game, which you can also get on PSN. Because in around 2009, right, it showed up like at uh, GDC and so on as basically a, um, a student project, right? And it won some awards. And so they've, um, by some chicanery now, it's developed as a, Fully funded Sony studio game, not just a student project, you know. So, um, so yeah, you, you said there was a ton you wanted to talk about. Let me describe this game. Yeah, why don't you do that and then I'll collect It's, it's my important thoughts. that we, we present this setting to people. So, you start the game off, you have a little circular reticle and a white screen, totally white screen. So, you don't know what to do with it. Now, Ara and I had had the upper hand knowing what Unfinished Swan was, we kind of knew what to expect. But if you came into this totally unknowing, it would be a little bit awe-inspiring and a little bit, you know, WTF. And it, and it was very much for me the first time I experienced it, for sure. Yeah. So completely white screen, not a shadow in place, just all white, and a tiny circle reticle in the middle. You press not any button, but most any button, and this uh, circle, or more likely a sphere, comes flying or lobbing out of you like you threw a water balloon, right? Right. And eventually it hits something, whether it's the ground or a wall or something, and it splatters out like you had thrown this giant paintball. And in fact, the game refers to them as paintballs. And so it it splatters out, and it produces completely black texture, but with a lot of splatter pattern and whatever, so it looks like you actually threw a dark balloon. But again, no shading whatsoever. It's completely binary. You've got a completely white world with no shades, so you can't tell if there's a wall or a floor or anything. But when you throw this, suddenly you can make out that, okay, there's some floor because it got some droplets over here, but the, the main paint hit a wall, and it sort of hit... Uh, well, actually, it's hard because you can't see the shadow of the floor to the wall, but you can see if it hit the edge of a wall, how it suddenly stops in a straight line. And so you can see beyond that uh, into more white space. And when you start throwing lots and lots of paint all around, then you start seeing more of the scenery. But the problem is because there's no shadows or gradients of any kind completely cover everything, then you've got the opposite of what you started with, just a totally black screen without being able to see anything. Right. So you have to you be still really, can't see anything. You've got to be careful not to throw too much paint, but to throw some paint. And 
anyway, from there, I'll, I'll let you take it. Yeah, so with your diagnosis. I mean, my initial reaction, which I'm sure is everybody's initial reaction, was that like, wow, this is really ingenious, right? I mean, this is like a really simple, low tech, absolutely novel idea, right? That is, it's like one of those things where you're like, I can't believe, because somebody could have invented this idea, like, really, in, like, 1995. Tell me what you really think when we come back. So, we're, we're talking about the Unfinished Swan. We explained what it is. Yeah, I love those kinds of ideas, by the way. The ones where, like, if you were smart enough, you could have come up with ten years ago. Yeah, and I bet that other people did this sort of thing, but didn't think to make you a, think so? a game out of it. Like, there have been other games that allow you to throw paint and stuff, but they don't think to start totally, you know, one color so you can't tell what's going on. The idea isn't... When I first saw it, I thought, okay, it's a game where you throw paint. But now I realize... It's not a game where you throw paint. It's like a, a game of discovery. Right. That's that's the whole the hook of the game is that you're discovering the world. You're actually – it's like you're making the world around you even though you're not making anything. Right. You're so, discovering it. So here's the funny thing, right? When I first saw the game, I was like, oh, this is a really, really incredible mechanical concept, right? Because you have this intrinsic trade-off, right? Uh, I can't see anything, but I – you know, if I throw this paint up on the wall, then I can see something. But if I do it too much, just like we said – Right then, I still can't see anything again. Right, so you kind of want to like cover just enough to see what's ahead of you, and if you you know you don't want to do too much for obvious reasons. Um, but like this is it's funny because it's like it's a mechanic that while it's got like that aspect to it that we just explained is really cool. It's almost like it's a mechanic that like doesn't really map that well to a game, I think. Because the next question is, where do I go with this, right? Yeah, it seems to me like it would be a mini-game in a larger adventure. Yeah, and, and for all of its ingeniousness, I, I think that you'd be hard-pressed to find um, a mechanical game that would really take this anything beyond like, oh, this is really cool, right? Because... Now, I mean, like, I watched you play, right, the demo, and, like, this is interesting, but, I mean, you know, maybe all you like to do is just walk around and explore spaces and shoot into the wall to see what's there and maybe try and find some hidden things, right? But I don't feel like, at least for me personally, like, that's not, like, that's not enough latitude of, like, interestingness to produce a game that I'd want to play for a very long time. Yeah, I'm with you, and... and so you would get bored of it, too, after an hour or two. Absolutely. But it's clear when we played enough of the demo that more than that happens. Like, they start introducing shadows at some point, but those yeah, shadows can still be taken over by paint. And thankfully, and... It, it does look like there is some promise of some other stuff, you know? But none of these other things are really um, as, like, cataclysmically original, right? It's just like, okay, so there was, you know, something you have to hit a bunch of times to open up. A, like, most of them are switches, Right? Like, there was... What else was there? It wasn't a switch. It was more like blocks you can push over. Yeah, there's, like, some blocks you can push, right? But anyway, I'm I'm getting too far ahead of myself. The thing that struck me the most, right, is that when we saw this a second time as a full game, as a final published game, um, there was this story element, right, that the original, at least in the form that I played, it didn't seem to have, right? And my first thing that I thought to myself is, like, like... How how like predictably lame is this that they have a really cool concept and the first thing they did, right? Or, I mean, we don't know if it's the first thing, right? But it seems like what they did was like they were like, oh, now we have to think of a narrative to wrap this mechanic in. Yeah, but wouldn't you have done the same thing? No, but 90% of developers would have. So you would have just said, okay, go play? 
well, I don't know what I would have done. I'd probably have to think about it more than I have so far, right? And and maybe, I mean, as, as a creditor in, in defense of them, right, probably thinking of some kind of narrative is the most, you know, obvious thing to do. But how many games have you played, right? I, it just, it's just like, it just seems so, like, thin, right? It's like, oh, there's this artist and she makes all these paintings, but she never finishes them. Yeah, and but I mean, even seemed, Street Fighter does that. You've got to have something. No, to but that's what I'm saying is you don't have to have something. And I'm really getting sick and tired of game developers uh, really pushing and straining narrative when there doesn't need to be one or not. Now, with this concept, who knows if that's the best way to do it or not? Because, like I said, it's it's a really interesting concept. And maybe there isn't that far different places you can take it mechanically. But it's like something like like Street Fighter is a good example too, right? Where you know there's no like nobody plays that game for the story. They just did it because it's like so many people have done it that you almost seem like you, you just have to do it because everyone else is. Well, doing come on! It. If they didn't, they wouldn't have been able to make a movie out of it. Then Van Damme would have been out of paycheck. Look, they didn't. Uh, didn't. I don't know. Man. Don't worry. They didn't stick to the story to make that movie. I'm anyway. trying to think of a counterexample, but I, I don't even I don't even think I feel like I have to. Um, it's it's the thing. I where, just feel like uh, imagine what would the game be if you didn't have any story. To I don't know yet. Maybe if I like if I had, if it was my job to figure it out, I could come back to you in a week and I would have a solid answer. Yeah. Honestly, I would. Well, I would challenge you to do that. But like, no, think but, about it a bit. But, you're, but unless you're going to pay me, like it's really not worth the effort. <laughs> but here's, here's the thing, right? Here's my point that I'm trying to make is that not everything maps to a narrative. And when I see a narrative like that, it just seems so forced, so contrived, so like – so weakly strung together that it's like – why is this even here? Like how like how like I don't know. How does that it just didn't make any sense to me. And and maybe it was probably it was well, probably because I originally experienced this kind of interaction without a story there and it was just as compelling. So I don't I feel like when they add the story, it's like, well, we don't know where else to go with this, so we're just gonna do that. So I have a couple questions. First of all, you said it doesn't make sense. Do you mean that the story didn't make sense or the fact that they added a story didn't make sense? No, the former. It, it was mostly just because, right, when I, whenever I'm hearing some kind of narrative, I mean, it's not something that – I'm not, like, deliberately aiming to, like, pull it apart, right? But I'm sure everybody has this sense, right? Like, whenever you hear a story, you, you have this sense just innately of whether you buy it or not, you know? And depending on how ridiculous or contrived it is, you're more or less likely to, you know, just take it at face value. Yeah. You know? So <clears> – <throat> I don't know. It, it seemed pretty easy to follow to me. I mean, obviously, it's it wasn't got hard. Ma- it wasn't hard to follow. It was just really strained. I thought, like, yeah, it it is. Yeah, it it is clear that they were trying to fit a story around a game, not the other way around. And that's fine, though, to me. But I also bet that once they put the story in place, it helped them develop the game further. Well, of course it does, right? Because it gives you. A, I mean, you're building up some kind of ground to build other stuff up on top of, right? But on the other hand, I. I there's just, you know, maybe this isn't the greatest example, but it really just drove home to me how frequently everybody seems to just focus so much on the narrative, but it's almost like they pay it lip service where like the Street Fighter example, right? Like lots and lots of games have a narrative. It's almost, I mean, I've been through this myself in the projects that I've been in, involved in professionally where we've been like, um, and it's not usually it's usually not me, but like I'm I'm getting more and more I think um, actively against this sort of thing. The more projects I go through and the more games I see, where they're like, oh well, it doesn't have a story. There should probably be a story because people are going to like wonder like why it is you're doing something or something else, right? And I always find that those justifications and reasons, like while at face value they make perfect sense, they're completely unnecessary. And the biggest problem is is that you end up spending so much time and so much resource on developing things that are actually not the game. I mean, if you're going to make a story game from the ground up, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, I'm not saying there shouldn't exist narrative games. But on the other hand, right, if you have something mechanically really interesting and if the best you can think of is, like, I'm going to wrap this, like, really 
shallow narrative around it to make some sense out of it so that we can have a product we can sell. That's just a stretch. Well, That's too much of a stretch. On the other hand, I feel like it produces or enhances the, the sense of a reward system. So, like, if I were playing that game and it didn't have any story, right, they, they didn't have those little cuts between chapters, right. then I'd be moving along and it's like, okay, chapter two, right, but without explaining what's happening or the story about the king and whatever. Right. And I, I would feel like there's no reward almost. And when you get to the very end of a game, maybe yeah. they... You know, they uh, tie up all the loose ends well, and that's, explain that's what's fair. happening. And- I mean, I think that's fair, and I think that that's – I don't disagree with you, you know, on that point. You know, there's – certainly if there's a story wrapped around whatever it is, no matter how bad the story is, like it does give some additional dimension of continuity to what you're doing, which I can appreciate is satisfying for people, right? But on the other hand, right, I guess my point is ultimately that it's like if we're – if you're going to do the story, like don't do the story because you feel like you're you have to because that's the standard thing to do. Like you got to have a better reason for that. Yeah. Well, I mean, ideally, I as I said a second ago that it it enhances the reward system. I'm yeah. thinking it would be better if the game were its own reward. Like I think right. of. Um, but you're totally right too. Like I've played so many games, and I'm sure you have too, where. The only, like if you really if you're really intellectually honest with yourself, you realize that you're really only playing because you want to see what happens next in the story. Yeah, even though it's tr- super trivial, right? right? right. Um, but but uh, the, what's the game I'm thinking of? The Doritos Crash Course, right? That game, no story whatsoever. Like it, sort of. Like it's super ambiguous, ambiguous, and it's like you're in America, and now you're in Europe, and now you're in Japan. But like, there's not even like you got first place and you stand on a podium or anything. It's just you finished right. the level. What was your time? Right. That game is a hundred percent gameplay. Yeah. Nobody is wondering why you're driving the Doritos truck and for what purpose and whatever. Yeah. You know? there, there's no truck, but I understand what you're saying. Nobody cares why you're there. I thought you were driving a truck in that game. No, you run. It's like the game. It's like the game show. Wipeout style or American Gladiators. Have right. we not played this together? One of us is crazy. It is one of my favorite games. I could have sworn there's a Doritos truck in there. Anyway. And you're driving it from location to location. Can't wait for the location. sequel. So, uh, but that game, all gameplay, right? And yeah. I, I wonder if they added some sort of lame story, if, if it would stand as one of these examples of, well, it gave, it enhanced my, my reward to see the story. But without it, I think it stands alone completely. Right. Um, well, it's like Tetris and the story, right? Like Tetris. Oh God, Tetris doesn't have a story. I don't know about, does it? Does no, it doesn't. Okay, right. Good. But it, it never makes sense to add a story onto. Nobody is wanting for a story in Tetris, right? Yeah. Does Doctor Mario have a story? I mean, I'm sure somebody wrote a couple of paragraphs. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Speaking of writing paragraphs, do we want to talk about the the software based manual? Oh, yeah, that was – why not? Let's, what do you want to say about it? I mean, it? we only have five seconds. Well, it's about five seconds worth of It's the first game that you and I saw that had a, like, press this button to read the manual, and it was basically yeah. just a perfectly digitized version of a lame manual. And we were interested, except the manual was as lame as a real manual in the sense that it can tell you anything. Yeah. We'll be right back. Are you going to find a Master of Science program in technology that creates thinkers who understand how business works and how to apply the technology? Where else are you going to discover a graduate degree in technology that is customized to meet your objectives? Where else in the Valley, on campus or online, can you study at the only private university that gives you the opportunity to focus in specialized areas like network security, artificial life programming, and game studies, as well as technology management? Where else? Where else but the University of Advancing Technology? UAT's graduate technology program is accelerated. It combines business with technology. It offers the flexibility to adapt quickly to changes that come in high-tech fields. Feed your brain. Lead. Manage. You won't find this innovative environment anywhere else. UAT, the select private university where you'll be fully immersed in technology. The experience is unrivaled. Click UAT.edu. That's UAT.edu.
right, we're back. Chatterbox. Can you hear the excitement in his voice? I'm so excited. <laughs> we, we do so many of these intros <laughs> that we're just like, oh, how can we make this exciting? <laughs> we can't. I wasn't even, what, I would... You didn't think I was trying to make that exciting, did you? No, no. I was just like, you, thank God. Here's the thing: when we talk, we don't always know what it sounds like to the to the people listening. Oh no, so that, we just don't think about it. And I heard you, and I'm like, wow, you sound super bored and depressed. People are going to think that we're just unhappy here, you know, trudging through the rest of the show. We have a bunch of stuff we want to talk about. Yeah. Well, well, you know, the last time we come back, I always make sure to have um, extra um, non excitement. Yeah, on just the you know. You know, maybe our listeners are looking for some zest in your step or that something. Was, that was very planned ahead. Intro, my friend. Okay. Well, I do plan our sponsor mentions, UAT.edu, the website for the University of Advancing Technology, as we always do a couple times a show. Um, okay. <laughs> I totally changed my mind. Let's talk about um, this, uh, this no Twinkie thing. Okay. All right. So... There's a guy. There's a guy, and he, he does these series of articles, right? And they're all titled Bad Game Designer. No Are they Twinkie. annual? Because the one I, I read, I made, it seemed like he just does it every December. Maybe. Maybe it's true. But if we're at 13 now, then he must have done an extra one in the middle. And, you know, I don't, I don't know the frequency, but there's, there's this designer who I don't even... Oh, oh no. The one I was reading was 11, and yours is 13. Yeah. Great. So he started in 2000. He does one a year. Me, I'm guessing. That's a good guess. Okay. Anyway, um... There's it's, it's a very well-known series of articles, right? And there's, I, I've always felt like a little bit unsettled when I've read these. And I was really, never really sure why. And I read the latest one that came out. And I feel like I'm, I, I can actually convey now what's upsetting about this. Okay. Can, can we try to explain what, he's, what he does? Yeah. So the way that these articles work is it's basically just an enumeration of like things that you shouldn't do as a game designer in your games. Yeah. And it, some, it some like exam- he takes other, what other people send him letters or something of examples of bad game design and he puts it together as sort of a, an annual roundup. Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I think he used to just do it himself, but it's become, it's become a very popular thing. Right. And so some examples of things that are um, bad game designer, no Twinkie situations, which he, he officially names as um, in capital letter, capitalized, yeah. in capitalized words, Twinkie denial conditions. It's a TDC. Write, write that down. Thank you. Submit thanks, your TDC. Thanks for that acronym. Yeah. Um, you know, so things like, okay, like hiding all your best content behind a paywall, bad randomly generated challenges, overlong predictable animations. Garrulous and indiscreet NPCs, invisible walls, overuse of one location. Did you say NPC? Yeah, NPCs. Oh, N. N. I was like, what is it? I didn't understand. No, I'm okay. not making a Tron reference. NPC. Okay. Uh, converting your an enemy to your side nerfs him, right? So without going into explanation of all these, like you can kind of get a sense for like, generally these are like bad things that happen in games that you don't want to do as a designer, right? But it's it's a little upsetting that these things are so popular because to me it just seems like this is like the lowest hanging fruit possible, right? And why it's like a very like lighthearted and easy thing and fun thing to talk about that a lot of like designers can relate to, at the, and even non designers actually, um, because we've all experienced a time when we're enjoying any entertainment product, whether it's a game or something else, where we've just been like, oh, that's really horrible, right? Well, it's not it's, just entertainment products. Everyone has a list of complaints of every UI or function. Yeah, you know. and, and it's the easiest thing in the world, I think, to identify something that makes uh, makes you feel like you've been wronged or treated unfairly. And that's what most of these situations are, right? And here's a problem that I have. Um, one problem is that, you know, it, it, everyone's a fucking critic and everyone's a fucking game designer and – the easiest thing in the world is to complain about things that suck about games. What's harder uh, but more productive is if you can actually do the opposite, which is talk about what you should be doing instead of what you shouldn't be doing, right? So I think it's kind of like an easy way out, right? And it's not addressing like more serious things that are more worthy, I think, of time and consideration. And it's just kind of taking this negative perspective, which I, I don't like either. You know, we all know what you shouldn't do, I think. I think that that's the easy thing to identify, right? What's harder to do is what you should do and in what context. The other thing, too, is that, like, right, because it's, like, couched in all of this, like, its own jargon, like, that kind of, like, like re-legitimizes itself 
because it has because we have so much jargon around it, you know. Twinkie denial condition. Well, I mean, he's obviously just having fun with that. Yeah, but yeah, but it has. I mean, you know, you know, Alan. I think you should know very well the psychological effect of when you have things and you give them official names and you start using those names over and over. Right? They they said they start to become more legitimate things in in people's eyes than if they didn't have official names. Anyway, I mean, I don't want to say that he, anything is insidiously planned with this thing, right? But the other thing, too, is that these sorts of things, like, it's kind of like an excuse to avoid um, really fully discussing video game design issues because they're so focused on what's bad, right, that the problem is is that there's a lot of things that are possible in games, right, and a lot of things that can work well in game design. It all depends on the context. It all depends on what else you're doing, right? In other words, like certain... Certain thing A, right, like like extreme changes of brightness or sound, right, which is identified as something you shouldn't do. Well, that depends on the context. It depends on what you're doing. Sometimes you actually – the right exact thing to do is to have an extreme change of brightness or sound. Yeah. I've, I've actually just experienced this. I've been playing Halo 4 yeah. while I've had some time off lately. Yeah. Um, playing through it again solo, I guess. And uh, it dubs some of that stuff like when you go from a cave and you go to – outdoors it does this blooming thing where it's really bright for a second until right. your eyes you know settle and that's actually really neat because it's it's realistic we all know that feeling and so they recreate that in the game yeah. that's extreme brightness and uh i mean there's a perfect reason for it so i would never say never do it but normally i would have been like yeah that's a totally bad thing to do yeah so i i feel like it just kind of paints like this very very stark picture where like you know, oh, well, these things are always wrong. And instead of, like, actually, like, talking about, well, when is this going to work and when is this not going to work? Well, or or why, why – the other thing, too, that this doesn't, like, take into consideration is that, like, a lot of times, you know, um, mistakes or, like, bad designs happen because of resource issues and not because of decisions. You know, like, you've seen games all the time, Alon, where you're like, this is – I mean, I have, too. We all have. Where this is, like – we look at it and we're like, this is the stupidest thing in the world. Why would they do that, right? And then so sometimes, you know, if you're talking about a particular thing and if I've been through that before, then like I'll tell you, Alon, I'll be like, oh, well, no, it's probably because, you know, they actually just ran out of time with this thing and, um, you know, maybe they didn't have enough resources to actually address it. Because obviously when everybody looks at it like a typo, you know that that's not there on purpose. Like it's funny, like I, I kind of feel like, People have this assumption that like every single thing about the way the game ended up was 100% intentional, on purpose, exactly the way they wanted it. Well, I mean, when you find a bug, you know it's unintentional. Right. By the way, we saw a typo in the credits of Unfinished Swan. Yeah. The title of the QA team was messed up. Yeah. So that was funny. Apparently, in the, they're from they're from Europe. No, you you Pope you instead Pope. of Europe. Yeah. Yeah, that was funny. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I would say bugs and typos, whatever. Then we just complained they didn't do a good enough QA job. But in general, I, I think that any professional understands that when you see a list of rules, that those list of rules maybe usually apply, but not always. So yeah, he says, you know, your, our example was don't go from extremely br- or change brightness extremely yeah. all of a sudden. We all know, okay, there might be a time to do that. So I wouldn't be upset that he makes these and calls them rules. And even if they're low hanging fruit, like there are all sorts of times in our lives, whether it's related to games or not that you know when you write something down uh even something that is common sense seems like fresh and new like you could go over a game that you've made and you have all these rules in your head just from experience they're not listed they're just natural like okay we're not going to do anything to upset the player and if you looked over these rules you might actually apply each one to all the parts of your game and go Oh, actually, I kind of do do that, and maybe that would be frustrating to something someone, and I hadn't thought about it. Yeah, but at the same time, too, right? If you're making a manual of what not to do, then you never know what you should be doing. Well, I think if you were to make a manual of what you should do, then that would not result in creativity. <laughs> I, I, well, no, no, no. There's a big difference. Well, this doesn't result in creativity either is what i'm saying this doesn't even give you any information about like what's a good practice you know i'm not saying like a manual of what to do in terms of like all games must contain these elements right 
But there's such a thing as like if you're going to do this, there's a best way to do it, right? Those are that's what best practices are. Yeah, but, but I, this I'm is just saying- this is like these are all the things you shouldn't do, and um. Maybe yeah, I don't he's being I sensationalist, but I I just don't I like see where this. this actually gets us. Like I don't really feel like it's actually like engendering interesting discussion or or talking about like uh, anything deeper other than like oh well this is bad so we shouldn't do it. Well, that might not have been his goal in writing the article. Maybe he just wants to offer some criticism to people, and I think that's fair. I actually like the stuff. The very first one, so I just pulled well up. see that's the insidious thing about it, right? Is because like it's it's very appealing, right? Like it's very and it's easy to talk about. No, but it's also helpful. Well, you say that. Right. So so here's the example. I, Ara told me about these, and I hadn't heard of them, the, the series of articles. So I looked it up on Google. The first one I found was from t- 2010. And the very first uh, game design you know, no-no that it mentions is offering the example is where there's, there's some game where there's different class of characters. Yeah, but here's, here's the rub, right? Like nobody deliberately offers irrelevant help. Whenever you, there's help somewhere, somebody at some point decided – that there was a utility, there's a reason for this, right? And if you just couch no, everything... The, the value of this here, and, and let me explain what, what irrelevant help means if, if it doesn't click for you. So if there's a character of a class in a game, let's say that one character can use a certain type of gun and another character can't, or a certain type of tool, and then the game says, hey, try using tool X over here, and the character you're using can't use that tool, the game should know not to offer that assistance. That's what we mean by irrelevant help. And like maybe this is telling the designers or the QA people look over this stuff and realize that it's more frustrating than you think. And I, I don't know. We're, we're running out of time, but I just think this whole thing is like, it's like an excuse not to really like carefully consider and think about what you're doing in a game. Well, he's writing these articles for free. Remember you said you wouldn't work too hard and since it was for free. Fair enough. If, if you paid him, I bet he would give you some more creative criticism. Fair enough. Yeah. Um, anyway, I do urge you to read the articles that, that he writes. Well, uh, I don't. Just look up Bad Game Designer No Twinkie. It's, uh, it is interesting, and I might, I might go read through some of the old ones. Well, um, you've got lots of fun-filled times ahead. End of the show. Uh, we didn't mention the email we got from Mr. Ken Davies of New Jersey, but uh, we'll probably bring that up next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. We'll be back. Good night, guys. You've been listening to Chatterbox Video Game Radio. Tune in next week for more tips and info and the latest and greatest in video gaming. And remember, all your base are belong to us.